Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Yeah. I'm going to let you be seated, and uh, I'll grab my text here in a second. Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 is where we'll be. Uh, <clears throat> but um, I'm going to take just the next little bit of time today to... Uh, to jump into Daniel chapter 1. Over the past, uh, I'd say, I don't know, three to five years, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to know that our world has been pretty rocked uh, by, by many, many things. I mean, we have the, the pandemic. We all know about that. There have been uh, riots. And I know we think riots, you know, here in the United States, there's been riots worldwide. Um, there's been political unrest. There's economic uncertainty. Uh, and it's going on all around us. And, it, and it's always so, right? But I don't know if it's ever felt like it's been erupting all around us at, at, with, with such increasing frequency and intensity. You know, and some people will call it the judgment of God. Uh, you know, this is God judging the world. This is God judging America for the things that's done. Some will call it just the natural processes of, uh, of living in a fallen world. Um, and some would even call it, you know, the sinister plans of humanity. So what is it, Bryce? Well, I don't know. One day we will know, right? One day we will know. But for now, we wonder, uh, we watch, we pray. And we, when we wait. Uh, but there comes a time uh, when we'll all be called upon to fight, to take a stand. And that's, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning from this title, taking, uh, taking a Stand. Take a Stand. How do we stand out, uh, and not just stand out, but how do we stand out in the right ways at the right time and for the right reason? And so to start, we'll be in Daniel chapter 1, and I just want to give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar is the king at this time, and if you know your Bible, he was an evil king uh, who destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, this guy, he was so evil that he didn't just destroy the city, but he, he burned down their temple. And then to add insult to injury, he went into their temple and took basically their religious symbols, and he, and he crushed them. He just destroyed them, burned them, as if to say, hey, the worship of your Yahweh God is so obsolete that I'm taking out anything that even matters remotely close to your worship to the one that you say is the one true God. And not only did he just destroy the city, the temple, and all the religious symbols, but to make it even worse, he said essentially, I'm going to destroy your future as well as your present. What did he do? He says to the leaders, go, and I want you to find the sharpest, the brightest sons of, of the royalty and the nobles, and I want you to basically kidnap them, all right? I want you to bring them to me, and I'm going to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture, uh, train them for three years, then they're going to be the future leaders of my government. So not only am I destroying Jerusalem and your present, but I'm destroying your future by taking the best of the best, 
and making them my leaders so they won't be yours. And so that's kind of the backstory. We're jumping into Daniel 1 this morning. Daniel 1, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin reading at verse number 3, but this, our text this morning will kind of re-explain some of what I just said, uh, and, but to give you a little bit more details. Here's what verse 3 says. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, which I'm really hoping he had a nickname, uh, uh, I don't know, how would you like to grow up in fifth grade and be called Ashpenaz? I don't know. So hopefully they call him Asher or something. I don't know. But the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse 4, young men went without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, I want you to go and find those who are voted most likely to succeed in their class. And I want you to bring them to me. Those are the ones that I want. It goes on to say he was to teach them the language. In other words, I want them to speak what we speak. I want them to speak like we speak. And the literature of the Babylonians, I want them to think like we think. So the Bible says the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, this is important, and we're going to come back to this in, in just a little bit, but he said, I want them to eat from the king's table. And then they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Now, Here's what I want you to notice. This was a very intentional and strategic plan to indoctrinate these young boys into this Babylonian culture. In other words, the king wanted them to think like Babylonians thought, behave like Babylonians behaved, and believe like Babylonians believe and what they believe. How many know that our enemy really hasn't changed all that much? I mean, this strategy, it mirrors the one that you and I are faced with today. We, we have an enemy who wants those who are followers of Christ to think like he thinks and to believe what he believes and behave like he would want us to behave. In fact, I believe that Satan wants everybody to disregard the the teaching of the one true God, and to submit and surrender to him and his systems. I mean, that's nothing earth-shattering, right? Nothing deep about that. We all know that. But understand this morning, there is definitely a full-on spiritual attack against people today as our enemy lies and as he deceives and as he tries to lure people away from God's best and lure people away from living according to 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 live live according to a lower standard if you will and that's why i would argue with all of my heart that it is completely impossible to be a sort of christian and have any success in the world any spiritual it is completely impossible to be what some have called a cultural christian and, and have spiritual success. Well, what's a, what's a cultural Christian, Bryce? What, what is a cultural Christian? They are everywhere. They are everywhere. Cultural Christianity, um, cultural Christianity is, 
is, is a religion that, that superficially identifies itself as, a, 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 as Christianity, but does not adhere to the faith. They identify as a Christian, but they don't adhere to the faith. A cultural Christian is one who wears the label Christian, but the label has more to do with their family background, their upbringing, rather than some sort of personal conviction, right? Cultural Christianity is more social than it is spiritual. A a, a cultural Christian identifies with certain aspects of Christianity, such as uh, uh, good works, uh, but they reject the spiritual aspects required to being biblically a biblically defined Christian. You know, some people consider themselves Christians because of, again, their family background, their personal experience, or maybe the country that they reside in. Well, I'm in America. It's a Christian country. I'm a Christian. Or, or, or they, they deem themselves a Christian because of their social environment. There was a, a famed scientist, an atheist, Richard Dawkins. He refers to himself as a cultural Christian because he admires some of the ceremonial and philanthropic aspects of Christianity. Dawkins, however, is not born again. He simply sees Christianity as a label to use. You look at free nations, the gospel is often presented as a costless addition to one's life. Just add church going to whatever you're doing. Just add church going to your hobbies. Just add charitable giving to your list of deeds or add the cross to the trophies of your mantle. I mean, in this way, many people, they go through the motions of accepting Jesus as their Savior and, and, and just saying something, but there's nothing, there's no accompanying surrender. The, the, these people who do not abide in Christ are called cultural Christians. You know what they are? They are branches that hang around the true vine, but they have no true attachment. And I'm just going to tell you, in the days of the early church, there was no such thing as a cultural Christian. There was no such thing as cultural Christianity. In fact, to be a Christian was to more than likely be marked as a target of persecution. I mean, the very term Christian was coined in the city of Antioch as a way to identify the first followers of Christ. And The first disciples were so much like Jesus that they were called little Christ by their critics. And and unfortunately, that term has lost meaning over the years and come to represent an ideology or a social class rather than a lifestyle of obedience to God. Cultural Christianity is not Christianity. And it is absolutely impossible for you and I to experience some sort of spiritual success and victory against temptations in the darkness of this world by being some sort of kind of cultural Christian. You and I, gotta we got to make our minds up. Are we in or are we out of this thing? Because victory comes to those who are all in. Are you all in today? Is this more than just a label to you? Is this more than just a hobby to you? Is this more than something that you can just post online? Hey, went to church today. Is it more than that? 
Are you taking a stand? Are you firm in what you believe and who you are following? It, it, it would be like saying, you know, can you work out one time a year and be physically in shape? No. No. And logically, we know that. I know we're all trying to find that just one workout that just makes the biceps and just the, the, just the midsection and everything just be the way that we want it to be, right? You can't say to your wife one time a year, I love you, and, and expect her to really believe that. Valentine's Day is Tuesday. You... <laughs> You, <laughs> you, you can't go to church for an hour and 50 minutes on Sunday and that's it and expect to be growing and thriving spiritually. What, Bryce? Like what? You're, you've got to make the presence of God a priority in your life where you seek him, where you depend on him, where you're living and dwelling in his word, where it's feeding you. It's our daily bread, not our Sunday bread. It's our daily bread where it's renewing our mind and you're learning to walk by faith and not by sight. You, you cannot be just a sort of kind of Christian and have the life and victory that God wants you to have. In fact, that's why Paul said in Ephesians 6, 11, and 13, he said, put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? You can take your stand. Sometimes you have to take a stand against the devil's schemes, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God and the belt of truth. When your shoes are prepared with the gospel, the readiness of peace, you put on the full armor of God so that when the day of the evil one comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything else, to stand. Church, sometimes you have to take a stand for that which truly matters most in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. And I would submit to you that if you are never standing out and you are always blending in, you might want to check your level of commitment because when you follow him, the Bible talks about how we will be set apart. There will be a difference. There will be something different about you. The word holy, that's what that means, set apart. Be holy for I am holy. God says there are times when you have to take a stand. There are times when you have to stand out if you're truly following. And that's what we're going to see happen in the life of Daniel and his friends. Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the story goes on. Among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 7 says this, the chief officials. Now, we're going to watch. They're going to change two things. They're going to change their diet and they're going to change their names. The chief official gave them, gave to them new names, to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why the name change? Why do they change their names? Well, to get a little context, how old were these boys? We, we don't know the exact age, but most biblical scholars would say that they were somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15 years old. 
So we're talking junior high or freshman, maybe sophomore in high school young boys, okay? They are taken away from their homes, thousand miles away, stripped of their identity, crushed of all dignity, and the first thing the king wants is he wants their names to be changed. Why? Because if you do a little study, the, their original names were all tied to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. The meaning of their names given by their parents were to worship, was to the worship and serving of Yahweh. You look at their new names, they're all tied to false Babylonian gods. So essentially, every time someone calls them by their name, it's a reminder you're supposed to serve the pagan gods. Every time someone says their name, it's a reminder, oh yeah, you don't serve Yahweh anymore. You're serving our gods not, and not these other gods. They were stripped of their identity. And then they're going to change their diet. You're supposed to eat, we read earlier, the food that's prepared for the king. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in this group, I'm thinking, that sounds pretty good to me. I'll have what he's having because I'm sure the king's eating pretty well, right? I want what the king's going to eat. Whatever it, whatever it is, I want you to serve that to me. The problem was is that the food was that was prepared for the king, the meat and the wine, it was dedicated to pagan gods. And, and that created a real problem for Daniel and his friends because, remember, they wanted to honor God. They wanted to worship Yahweh in every way possible. And to eat or drink anything dedicated to pagan gods would cross a line in their minds and be disrespectful to God. So verse 8 is probably the key verse of uh, everything we're going to look at. Verse 8 says this, but Daniel, Daniel did what? He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He did what? He purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Very interesting what we see taking place here, and I want you to notice this, okay? Daniel didn't fight back when the name was changed. He did not fight back when they had given him a new name. Did you notice that? And I, 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 I why? I'm guessing my thoughts is he's like, hey, you can call me whatever you want to. You, you, you can tie me to whatever God you want. I think Daniel, at the end of the day, he knew who he was. And there was an outward name wasn't going to change that. An outward name wasn't going to define who he was in his heart. He's like, you can call me whatever you want to, but I know inwardly I will always worship and I will always serve my God. My name is not worth standing up for. He didn't defend his own name. So when do you take a stand? He took a stand when God's name might be defamed. He said, I'm not going to let you insult the name of my God. I've resolved not to defile myself and eat this food. And I love this. He made a predetermined resolution before the temptation ever came. He predecided what he would do and what he would not do. He predecided, and that's why Daniel was successful. That's why we preach on Daniel still today in the story of Daniel, because of the victory that he had. 
You see, had he not predecided, you put the fr- food in front of him. Had there been no predecision, you put the fruit in it, food in front of him, he could have done what I've done so many times when I'm trying to do good, when I'm trying to do right. Okay? Had there been no predecision, you put the food in front of him, and there's probably some compromise. There's probably from rationalization, well, it's just half a donut, which we'll get the other half on the way back through. How many of you eat stuff in halves, right? Just to make yourself feel better. Okay? It's all right. Confession's good for the soul. But, you know, food puts in place as king's, it's the king's food. Looks pretty good. It, had there been no predecision, I mean, obviously, God's got his hand on this. It, it looks beautiful. It looks great. I might have said, you know what? You, you, you've got to eat something. You, you can't just starve. I'll just do it just as once, and God will forgive me. Hey, look at all the other little Jewish boys eating this, too. And it doesn't look like God's striking them down. So I'll just, I'll just do this, and it's not that big. You know, you, you've got to eat something anyways. But here's the key. Here's the key. He predetermined. He resolved in his heart ahead of time. He made a decision before he was faced with the temptation to do what is right. Hear me this morning. Your success on so many different spiritual avenues will be determined by what you decide ahead of time. By what you decide ahead of time. Many of you, and I don't know who this is going to speak to, but I believe the Holy Ghost will personalize it for you. There are some things that you need to predetermine in your heart right now. You need to decide now that no matter what happens in the future, I will always do such and such, or I will never do such and such, because I predecided to serve God and honor Him in this way. You also may predetermine what you're going to do. Okay, there's a lot of things that we can predetermine. Just for example, I predetermined for myself that I'm going to church every single time there is a service. If I'm in town, there is no doubt that the worship of God and the fellowship of his people is a priority to me. So I predetermined that decision. Some of us need to predetermine that because the enemy will slip in and cause us to question and have something else that's burning and hot and we got to tend to, but we've already predetermined when the doors of the church opened up, I'm going to be faithful. You decide ahead of time. Before the scene, before the temptation, I've resolved in my heart. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You decide before the event, before the circumstance, what it is that you will do and what it is that you will not do. And that's what these boys did. I've resolved in my heart not to eat this food that's been dedicated to the pagan gods. And what sounds like when you read it as this one-time event, you read one little verse and you don't really realize they took a stand in that moment. They stood out. But not just that day. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. For breakfast, they stood out. For lunch, they stood out. For dinner, they stood out. And the next day, again, they stood out. They made one decision that set them apart again and again and again. And if you are following Christ, 
you're going to find that the closer you get to him, the more often you're going to be standing out. And you're not ashamed of it because you know what he's done for you. I mean, watch the wisdom of Daniel. Verses 12 and 15, Daniel says this to the government leader who is above him. He says, hey, here's the deal. I, I, I really don't want to eat this food. But here's what I'm going to say. He said, please just test it. Just for 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. In other words, we're not eating that meat or the wine that's been dedicated to the pagans. Just give us the water and give us the vegetables. Then compare our appearance to that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the government leader, he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. How many know God's got you? How many know God's got you? <laughs> I, I love this. What did they not do? What, you know, a lot of times we focus on what they did. Well, what did they not do? Instead of making this big protest, Oh, no, you don't. We're believers in Yahweh, and we don't eat that food that's dedicated to pagan gods. Woo! Instead of throwing a big fit or making a scene with wisdom, they presented a plan, respecting the authority above them, and they said, hey, can we simply just try something else? You see, you can stand out for the right things in the right way, or you can stand out for the wrong things in the wrong way. And can I just say, there are people who are standing out for the wrong things in the wrong way all the time. You got the Facebook Bible police. Uh, <laughs> you know, anytime somebody just says something or posts something, they're stabbing them with the word of God. You know, you're just trying to do, you know, they're just trying to make a post about, you know, the Bible. And, you know, the Bible says da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, you just make some of the, well, the Bible says this. And they're rude and they're angry all the time. They got the spiritual gift of being annoying. I mean, seriously. There's the, oh, you're going to hell crowd, turn or burn, you know, you're, you're in a hell where there's, gnashing of teeth and some of these people may not even have teeth but they're talking about gnashing of teeth <laughs> you you can stand out in the wrong way if Jesus wasn't sent into this world to condemn it I doubt you were I doubt I was. You can stand out in the wrong way. Let that not be said of this church. Stand out, but stand out in the right way. Stand out in the right time for the right reason. And we have to have wisdom. We have to have wisdom with it. Pray. It's okay to pray. God, is this worth taking a stand for, or is this something that's really not that big of a deal? So many times we have majored on the minor and minored on the major. We flipped it. God, is this worth taking a stand for? Is this, is this worth just standing out? 
all of you, every one of us, we have these opportunities. Pre-decide, though. Pre-decide. I resolved in my heart. This is where I'm willing to be different. This is where I'm called to be different. I don't care if people make fun of me over here. This is what I'm called to do. That's okay. That we, we understand that. We get that. But there are other things that we try to just take a stand on. We try to set apart. And it just paints such a bad light on Christianity and makes people just like, well, what? We got to have wisdom with it. We got to have wisdom. In verse 19, I ask our music to come. Don't get your hopes up. I still have 20 more minutes. Just kidding. Somebody's like. Verse 19, we see this. It says the king talked with them. The king talked with them. I love this. He, the Bible says, found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. You see, God gave them supernatural understanding. These boys did better in school than everybody else. So you want to be better in school? If I could speak to the teens upstairs, don't eat the cafeteria food that are dedicating to the pagan gods. God bless our school cooks. God gave them the ability to interpret visions and dreams. And they literally, hear me, literally redirected the course of history because they stood up for what mattered most. You think about this, though. Had they not compromised and not had the courage to take a stand, nothing historic would have happened. Think about that. Nothing historic would have happened. Nothing. I don't know about you, but I would rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten for just blending in. If, if you're just blending in, I'd suggest that you're not fully committed just to be as open and honest as I possibly can. Now, we don't stand out to make a statement. We stand out because he's called us to be different. Now, if the byproduct of that is a statement, then so be it, because we're going to take a stand against the devil and the devil's schemes, all right? We're going to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of the truth, and our shoes prepared with the gospel of the readiness of peace. And we will take a stand against the enemy and his attacks. And then when we've done everything else, we will stand. Why? Because Jesus stood. Jesus stood and died for us. And he's called us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds then we'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Church, you cannot, you cannot be a part-time Christian and stand out and have victory. You just can't do it. It's impossible. 
And that's why so many people, I think, fade off. They fade off because they, they have looked at it just from jumping to Sunday to Sunday, from an occasional Wednesday to another occasional Wednesday, and you just can't do it. It's a cross that we pick up daily. Not when we feel like it. I mean, no, there are times when you don't feel like it. It's hard. It's tough. But you got to take the stand. You got to take a stand. But you pre decide ahead of time this is what I'm doing, no matter what I feel like. Whether I feel it or I don't feel like it, this is what I've decided to do. Would you stand with me this morning and would you just bow your head with me, close your eyes right now and just, I want you to pray with me as we, as they begin to play a song and maybe you felt like you've been on the fence or just not in it the way that you felt, you know, that we should be in it and I want you to pray right now. God, lead us right now to live in such a way that our lives would bring you glory. God, if it means being different, if it means being mocked, so be it. Because, God, we want to do what you've called us to do. We want to, we, you've called us to be different in a way that honors you, that pleases you, and to be transformed in your presence by your spirit that our lives would bring you glory. God, give us a spirit of, of boldness. God, give us wisdom. God, give us encouragement to know when to take a stand and when to let it go, God. God, help us to understand, if is this worth it, God? Give us the courage to stand up, to stand out, to be different for your glory, to show your love to a world that needs to see it, God, to show your heart to this lost world. God, give us the courage at the right time for the right reasons, and with wisdom, God, when, when we need to take a stand. As they begin to play and sing, why don't you lift up your hands and lift up your voice and Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.